Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Initech. No, you're working at Initech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? Tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Well, I'd buy... Well, and welcome back to Stack and Jacks. I'm Tom Hollis from Edburn on the board. SP Futures up 14. The SAP is up 48. We eked out a gain yesterday. We were up most of the day, and we kind of ducked on the close, but still were up. So it still looks like unless we have a huge rally today, it would be a, a losing week. So, Matt, are you one of those guys that's got a million dollars and does nothing? I wish I, I wish I could say I was that guy. I think you need more than a million dollars to do nothing now. I need a little bit more. I'd say yeah. two or three million. Then you're there you go. We have Mr. Kevin. You do. How are you? Good. And, uh, yeah, I would uh, I would be really good at doing nothing. I'd, I'd make a really good slug. No, you wouldn't. You'd be, you'd be being a slug after you were out teaching. We could slug part yeah, of the day. Yeah, well, sooner or, later I, uh, sooner or later I won't. And then, you know, my job will, uh, I'll go to my uh, career number five, which is uh, hand out carts at Walmart. Well, unless, I, I think unless I get the gig that I really want. Uh, to be a Zamboni driver, absolutely. The uh, I think once you once you drop into slugdom, you kind of it kind of it kind of grows on you. <laughs> literally, yeah. Literally. <laughs> Speaking of the Zamboni driver, did you watch any of the hockey game last night? No, no. I'm I'm in Indianapolis today, like yesterday and today. Well, the uh, it was a uh, the usual Blackhawk can't score. I mean, they got no team, but uh, they actually. Signed Marion Hosa for a day yesterday, so he could retire from the Hawks, and they're going to put a. Cool. They're going to retire his number next year. Great hockey player. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, really, uh, I'm going to say. The, and, and and what the what the Blackhawks um, coaches used to say is when they'd get young guys on their team, and uh, and and they they would you know say how you know what what guidance do they give them? They say just watch Hosa and do what he does. Yeah, you know, the guy was such a pro, uh, such a, a you know, as a big dude. Nobody pushed him around, and uh, but he was back checking every little part of the game. The guy was spectacular, at, and uh, constantly worked at it. And I don't know. If, well, they've got a couple guys. I mean, Taze does a little of that, but they got no defense now. And uh, but you know, they have a few other retired numbers. Can you name them? Oh, I'm sure I can name a few of them. Uh, Bobby Hall, no doubt, is uh, retired, yep. and Stan Makita is no doubt retired. Is Tony Esposito retired? Yes. Is uh, let's see. Um, trying to think back, uh, go back to the days. I mean, you know, I I, I don't know what they've done with guys like uh, a Pierre Pilat yes, or uh, yes. Um, Warm or guys like that. Um, no, it's who, interesting. Who else is retired. Interestingly enough, uh, Pierre Pilat is. 
Kenny Warm is not. Neither is uh, uh, Jeremy Roenick, which I'm kind of surprised at. Neither is I thought. I thought Doug Wilson. Well, Roenick, you know, Roenick might have played as much of his career elsewhere as he did in Chicago. Uh, that's true. I'm, I'm, I was kind of surprised Doug Wilson was not. Yeah, a little bit, sure. Um, a uh, and uh, you know who is this? Keith Magnuson of all people. He is. Yeah. Keith Magnuson was, you know, was a, a very, uh, yeah, you know, he was a guy everybody knew, but he wasn't that good. He was, he was good, but he wasn't great. No, I would agree. He was got, uh, got in a lot of fights, lost, you know, probably lost a high percentage of them. We knew a lot of defensemen, but I wouldn't go if him. you go if you go on uh, on Google and look up Keith Magnuson and do the images, you'll probably see a lot of them bloodied as much oh, yeah. as anything else. I don't think he was anywhere in the class of uh, uh, the two guys that just one guy who just left. Uh, what was his name? Yeah, he's still playing for uh, Winnipeg or Edmonton? Oh, Keith. Um, um, Keith, or who was the other guy? Uh, Duncan the, Keith. Duncan Keith. Who was the other guy that had a gazillion surgeries? Uh, not was not, uh, with an S. Seabrook. 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 I mean, yeah, I mean, those two guys, I think, were, were way better. They were terrific. Yeah. Anyway, uh, but the, uh, yeah, he, he, he definitely deserves it. Uh, but here's another one. Since you're kind of a hacky bluff, what team has the most guys retired? I had to take a wild guess. I'd say the Canadians. There you go. Um, I, I remember most of, most of these names too. Wow, Jack Plant. I remember him. Goalie Doug Harvey, John Bellavo. He was spectacular. Uh, Bernie Jeffrian, Howie Morantz. I don't remember him. Maurice Richard. Bernie, Bernie Jeffrian's nickname was Boom Boom. Boom 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 Jeffrian. There was Maurice the Racket Richard. Gila four, I remember. Number twelve were my uh, Dickie Moore and then Yvonne Cornier. Henri Richard, I remember him because of hockey. Back when there was only six, for those that don't remember, man, there were only there were only six hockey teams. So you knew wow. the guy, you knew the names on the other teams as, as much as you did on the Hawks. I mean, if you were, a, I watched every road game and you knew every other guy and every other team just because there are only six teams. Yeah. And plus, nobody wore a helmet. Maurice Richard, <laughs> how about let's go with Maurice Richard's nickname? Uh, the Racket. No, no, no. Oh, Maurice's, yeah, yeah, uh, and and then Henri Richard's. He was the he was the pocket racket. He was the pocket racket because he was a smaller, uh, yeah, uh, smaller Richard. Then there was Sergei Savard, Larry Robinson. I don't remember him. Bob Ganey. I don't remember him. Ken Dryden. I do. And Patrick Raw, Raw, Roy, Roy's Roy. It's pronounced Roy. I, I remember Ken Wah. Dryden. <laughs> Patrick Roy. To this day, I don't I don't remember anybody who had a. Uh, a faster, uh, whatever, the, the, the first baseman's mid-hand, whatever you call that one, than Ken Dryden. He easily could have been a, a major league first baseman. Ken Dryden, he, he was also interesting because when he came up, he came up like right at the end of the year. And the the Canadians were not that good, but they made the playoffs. And then he was the hot goalie through the whole playoffs, and they won the whole damn thing. Well, uh, Matt, for you and the, some of the, the listeners, the hardest sport to break into was the National Hockey League. They took some years there were only six rookies in the whole league when there were six teams. Because you only had you had 18 guys, right, uh, Kevin? And you only had one goalie. And so, and so if, if you were in the no, state... They, they, there was always a backup goalie. And uh, you're... Right when I was starting to watch them, okay, which would have been in the 60s, Bobby Hall and those guys playing, uh, right when I was starting to watch him, the backup goalie just became mandatory. Before then, you needed you know, we had one, 
and if you lost him, you had like a half hour to find a guy in the stands. <laughs> and and they didn't wear masks. Yeah. So what do you what do you think was the probability of losing one? I can't think of anything more dangerous than those guys not wearing masks and Bobby Hall and those idiots having those curved sticks. I mean, anybody anybody who thinks that that uh, anybody has any kind of shot today compared to those guys, not because they're not as big and as strong, but those those curved sticks they were wicked. They were like using one of those uh, uh, highlight sticks for God's sake. What's the maximum curve you can get now? It's like an inch or something. No, not even. No, nothing like that. I don't know. It, it, it's, it might be a half. But what, what whatever it is, yeah, those guys. Those guys used to, you know, they just bend them like, you know, a, a two-inch curve. I, th- I was going to say three. You, I mean, you, was, you couldn't. You couldn't backhand a shot with those sticks. No, you. But a, a wrist, a wrist shot. Bobby Hell's wrist shot was faster than a slap shot because you could, you could swing it on that on that stick. I don't know how the how the hell the goalies. I mean, I remember him taking slap shots to the blue line behind the goalie before the guy even moved. I mean, uh, but I don't know. It was so dangerous how those guys survived. Most of them looked pretty good. I'm looking at a picture of Glenn Hall. He looks pretty good. He never wore a mask. Well, I'm looking at Keith Magnuson. He bears a striking resemblance to uh, uh, Alfred E. Newman with that missing tooth there. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, all those guys used to have missing teeth. Nobody wore a mouthpiece. Nobody wore a face mask. And then they, they yeah they didn't wear helmets. I mean, like, yeah. it wasn't just the goalies that wearing masks. It was the players? Hardly any players wore a helmet. The last guy, and, I think and when they did, they didn't have face masks on them. They were just you know, hey, heck, that's what I played with when I was in, in through high school. Is you, you just kind of buckled them under your chin and your the top of your head was covered. It didn't do a damn thing, and uh, and then uh, but your face wasn't. The only thing it did is if you got flung back lot, on the actually. If you got flung back on the ice, the helmet would protect you from your head hitting the ice or something. That was about the only thing it did. But all our guys in, high, in our college had had the false teeth, the the, uh, the thing they'd stick back in their mouth. With their te- Willie was missing a couple of his front teeth. I don't know if Eddie Bombaco was, but a lot of those guys were. Yeah, they probably were. Anyway, so uh, Kevin, we have all kinds of stuff going on in the world. We got uh, the Fed. I was with a, a couple of dudes last night. I haven't seen in a while. One because he's unfortunately had all kinds of issues with one son who got a uh, essentially an aneurysm. The poor kid's been in the hospital for like six months. He just got out, uh, but evidently he has a chance of being okay. So I guess that's good for modern medicine. Uh, they are they were absolutely convinced that we cannot watch this this, this crap in Ukraine anymore. We got to do something because you know for God's sake we're the, we're the last bastion of democracy left in the world. Everybody looks up to us and we're we're piddling around with this thing. Well. Well, last night somebody bombed a train station. Thirty people got killed. I just got an email. Oh, I, I understand all that. As, as a matter of policy, though, is is that really is that a war we want to be in? Uh, and, um, I don't know. What, what, what's if if the interest is democracy? We've done that enough times, and and, and it has failed. Don't disagree. If the interest is stopping Russia. I you know then they better articulate why. Um, you know, not letting Russia grow, um, because this could turn into, uh, uh, you know, it, it could turn into something we really, really don't want in terms of. Well, I mean, what's the, 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 question the battle is like? It's, it, you know, it's 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 it was tough enough going into the Middle East against, uh, you know, completely inferior forces, but uh, and and the Russian army may not be. Uh, you know, all that people feared it was, but it's still very capable of doing serious damage and 
if we want to if we want to go pick that fight in Europe, uh, we do. We really want that fight to come back come back here to us. I I, I want to hear a, a very well stated national interest before uh, before seeing us go into that. All right. Well, I guess uh, I'm not I'm not pushing for it. I'm more on your side on this one, but the point of view is out there, and just the idea. And I, one of my listeners, one of our listeners. Uh, said that's, I guess we better not let Iran get an atomic bomb because once somebody does, they get to do whatever the hell they want anywhere. Well, there's a certain amount of truth to that. Yeah. <laughs> that, that it certainly changes the, uh, uh changes the calculus for it. But it, it isn't, that, that isn't really where I'm, what I'm getting at is, uh, you know, we, we have reached beyond what I would consider legitimate national interest a lot. Over the years, and you know, you, at some point, you got to start saying, um, you know, why are we doing this? What what is what's in it for us other than to be the cool big brother? Because there's a whole lot of fights that we don't we don't join I, um, I in agree. all kinds, all parts of the world, and it's because uh, you know we don't perceive any any national interest in it. Um, you know, we may abhor the uh, um, the human rights violations. We may, have, you know, there's a whole lot not to like. But, but by the same token, um, you know, it's it, it just it, there's no strategic interest. And I, I'm, you know, other than uh, other than you know a, a lot of people who like to run rampant in a corrupt country, I don't know why you know why Ukraine is in our national interest. I I, I don't I know that sounds cold because there's people suffering, um, but. It's it's. I don't know that that's anything we're we're going to be able to solve. Um, I uh, I'm with you, except uh, the the arguments brought up last night, and I wish you were there. Uh, were that, hey, look at there's a couple of people in the world that have diametrically opposed views of of uh, what we think the world ought to look like. Obviously, some of not everybody, but a percentage of the of the Muslim group is absolutely convinced that you're supposed to take over the government and force everybody to be in your religion, and that's that's what you do. And maybe the Catholics did that in the 1200s or something. I don't know. I wasn't here, but... Yeah, but uh, there's there's theocrats, yes. There's there's that group that we're just not going to agree with. They're never going to agree with us. Uh, then there's the China situation that they, they think it's manifest destiny. The entire Asia you know area is them, and we're probably not going to agree with that either. Then there's Russia that says, okay, this stuff is really all ours. It used to be, you know, by the way, we lent it it out for a while, but in the end of the day, it's all ours again. I don't think we necessarily agree with that either. So the question is, if you really have principle on your side, that there is something in this world called freedom and stuff, even though you'd never know it in Chicago and other places, but uh, the fact is, are are we the bastion of democracy or aren't we? And does it really matter whether... People are getting obliterated in, in Ukraine, or if the next country is Poland, now all of a sudden we have to do something because there's a piece of paper. They, look, they said it looks to us like the same place. I mean, uh, I mean, what? Well, but there isn't a piece of paper. There's an agreement. There's a, there's a um, uh, our word to defend it. It's, it's not just a piece of paper. Okay, but I'm saying tomorrow, if it if it is Poland, or if if. It's still not in our best interest. I mean, there's no difference. There isn't a person listening to this show. Well, there might be a few listening to the show. It wouldn't be me that if you gave somebody a, a, a map of the world could even tell you where the border was between Ukraine and Poland. 
but I guess I'm, I'm not I'm not advocating for us, you know, getting people sworn in the army today, Kevin. You know, I'm not. I guess with, with these this conversation last night kind of piqued my interest in us. What exactly is the line? I mean, I, I just got a picture today from our girl Angelica. What people are doing to their kids over there is they're putting in, in again like, really heavy ink. They're putting their name and, and, and number on the ba- on their back in case they get lost or kid killed. They at least know who the kids who the kid belongs to. I mean, this is this is the 21st century for God's sake. I mean, I mean somebody somewhere has to tell this Putin this isn't the way you can go. I mean, I mean, and to, without just you know taking his daughter's money. I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's, there, there there comes a well, point. He, but 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 he can be isolated. We're just not willing to isolate him. Bar you know a hundred percent. And and that's that's part of the problem. Uh, you know, it is uh, it 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 would be. I mean, it, to completely freeze them out, uh, we could we could do a lot of damage. But uh, you know, we 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 have not been willing to do that so far. As, as oh. you discussed the other day, you know, we're we're allowing people to com, you know continue commerce on a case by case basis. Well, you know, who's who is selling stuff in in Russia? Um, you know, count the number of corporations, and uh, in, and if we start saying, "Well, sorry, we don't do business with them anymore," what kind of blowback are you going to get from there? You know, we don't we don't have American corporations that are uh, that that see themselves as American corporations. They see themselves as worldwide corporations, and who who are uh, who is anyone to interfere with that? If if you really if you really mean it, if you really say this is going to be our interest. Then that has to mean everybody kicks in, and so Coca-Cola, you are not going to be selling in Russia anymore. Uh, Levi's, you know, Levi Strauss, you're not going to be selling in Russia anymore. Um, you know, everybody, you're, you're done. You're what done. Uh, get out of there? What do you uh, think? I, I don't see us doing that. I don't see us doing that at all. And so anything we do is going to be a half-assed uh, uh, attempt to try and uh, uh, influence events, and it's just it's not going to work. All right. Well, f- follow on that theme. By the way, that's sort of where I was heading, but. When you and I have been on so long, like we have together, we sort of anticipate each other's thoughts. Uh, if if you and I, and we'll take some of our listeners with, I don't know if we'll bring Matt. Yeah, we'll bring Matt. Uh, and we'll let it be here. And in, in a room, and we're going to write up a policy. What exactly, legally, now we need we need a couple of our lawyer buddies. If we did it, of course, it would be all illegal, but that's okay. Maybe that's not a bad thing. How would you write up a policy that says, look, we're not going to let this happen. We're not going to let these guys buy bullets. We're not going to let them do something. And if it's caught by any corporation, that's where would you draw the line? I mean, you're not, you can't tell Siemens from Finland, of course, they don't like the Russians, to not sell bullets. I mean, you could, you could, can you tell, uh, a cult? Can you tell the arms makers here to not sell bullets? And if you did, what, are, are, are we willing to walk into a boardroom and take people out in cuffs? I, I don't think we are, Kevin. I mean, I, I don't. Well, seeing as we've never been able, never been willing to do that before, when they break the law, why would you think so now? Yeah, I'm saying and, what? what and is, I, I don't even know that that's a law you can make. Um, the, you know, the, the question really gets to be, you know, let's take it back to you know where I started is what what is our interest? Let's clearly articulate what our interest in there because if it's altruistic. Um, that that's a different set of goals than it is if it's uh, if it's a practical interest. Well, I mean, it, it isn't really. I mean, uh, the uh, I'm not so sure that the concentration camps. That uh, I mean, obviously, I, mean, I think Roosevelt 
unfortunately, probably had to do the right thing by not making them a, we're not messing with the military strategy just to get there. Uh, as horrible as that was, but I, I guess I got to throw them that bone. I don't, I don't know, but I wasn't privy to everything. But at some point, at what case, what what point are atrocities in in, in areas that? Well, and, and what is the? Does the Fed know? And I'm sure they care. There's got to be massive investments in Russia. I mean, for God's sake, long-term capital. I was still on the board of the CBOE. That was 1997, and we that was that was investments in Russia. This is what 25 years later. There's got to be 10 times the investment in Russia than what it was then, right? I mean, there's people here that have got to be sniveling to the White House daily. Like, what are you doing? I got investments over there. Now, how much of a who are they? I mean, is it is it Goldman? Is it BlackRock? Is it is it some goofball that went over there and, and put 100 dollars on a you know, on a, on a tasty stand. We don't care about him, but we obviously care about BlackRock, Goldman, and these other people. We care about long-term capital. I mean, what, does anybody really know what is the exposure over there? By whom? And if they get caught, who do they have exposure to here? Is it is it banks? Is it people? Is it the market? I mean, we. I don't. Does what have, price will the average person pay for shutting that down? And are we willing to exact that price? I mean, you know, it's one thing to say what price will uh, BlackRock play, uh, pay. It, you know, it's another to say, um, you know, the, the the economic impact of it. What price are you and I going to pay? What price is the person who's already living on the edge of uh, of financial ruin going to pay? And are we are we willing to impose that price on? Well, you? we we get on the edge of financial ruin. It's a total self inflicted wound in my mind. Total self, self-inflicted wound. I mean, over a period of time, we have screwed people right and left in this country. And yep. all in the words of helping them out. Now, the question is, I'm going to say that if you let a few of these things just go down, you're, you're talking at least a short-term 10 to 20% move in the market. Now, the markets are up so much that, is that, is that, I mean, is, are you going to, Take care of your policy to where the the uh, you know the market can't move. We're, we're not going to we're going to allow people to be exterminated just so the market doesn't go down. I mean, I, well, I, and, I don't, and, and I don't I don't want to say I don't care about the market, um, but I really don't uh, as much as I care about um, you know what does that mean for uh, the number of jobs that are available in this country? What does that mean you know for employment in general? Um, and you know er- everything that cascades through a bad economy because you know. Wealthy people aren't, aren't as nearly as affected by all of this than uh, than the average. Okay, but now you got to be anybody down the economic spectrum. You got to be somewhat careful there, and we only get a couple minutes before a break. But now when I say this, Kevin. I mean, I, everybody knows. And, and by the way, loves to listen and, and see the progress you're making. You are doing. Uh, I don't want to exactly by name it economically, but you're, you're you're pushing from below. You you want the person that's making twenty bucks an hour to make twenty five, the guy making twenty five to make thirty, and you're going to, uh, and you're going to push, and you're going to do that, and you're spending a lot of time, and you're being successful, and everybody is a proud of you for that. I, I am, but and you're pushing for the world that you and I knew when we grew up, where somebody can make five hundred hours a week, live on four hundred, and save the rest, and that's how you build wealth. But in this in this last twenty five years. Unless you were up, up maybe the top twenty percent, with other than your four hundred one k, 
that's where all your wealth is. Even people who have, who have been living hand to mouth have a 401k someplace. Maybe, well, hopefully they do, or an IRA. And, and the, the, an, an incredible amount of wealth in this country on a percentage basis is in these, is in the stock market. It never should have been that way. It, I mean, it, it's crazy that it is. It should be spread around in bonds and cash and other stuff. I mean, I honestly believe that. But the fact is, it is. So if you, if you take a 20% hit in the market, it's way different than a 20% hit in the market in 1968 in terms of affecting affecting a, a lot of people. And I'm going to say it should never have made to get that way, but it is. I mean, if you ask anybody, how do you make wealth, you buy Apple at 25 they don't say you get a good job and save some dough. Nobody does. I'm, and I, unf- yeah, and I, I hear what you're saying, Tom, and, and I don't, I don't want to diminish that. But I also know that if you have people with 401ks and, and IRAs, and they get thrown out of work, and uh, and they get a couple months down the road, and they don't know what to do. They're cashing those out anyway. That's and, true. You know, we'll we'll figure out the tax consequences later because I need money to eat now. That's true. I gotta, you know, I got to feed the kids, um, and, uh, and and sooner or later, I got to feed them something besides mac and cheese. You are mac and cheese is good. SP futures up fifteen, Nasdaq futures up forty eight. I know a guy that bought like twenty five cases of mac and cheese, and he said, because no matter what, he could always eat. Get him under his bed. He's a weird duck, Kevin. <laughs> we'll be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding health care reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. 
a longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, hello, back Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howie. Mr. Matt Burn on the board. SP Futures up 15. The SP is up 48. Been there for steady here the whole kind of time. By the way, uh, Kevin, I just sent you and the rest of the Stacks and Jacks gang a uh, uh, forwarded that thing from uh, Angelica. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty awful. Uh, Dow, Dow futures up one thirty one. Over in Asia, we've got a little bit of a bounce here. These guys were all down heavy yesterday. Nikkei up ninety seven point four percent. Shanghai up fifteen point five percent. Hang Seng up sixty three point three. So uh, the uh, COVID situation in, in China is still they're still locking people down with these new variants. I don't understand why, but they are. Uh, U.S. yesterday, Dow was down up 87, the S&P was up 19, NASDAQ was only up 8, so it was kind of a minor bounce, but a bounce after two horrible days. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX up 192, that's 1.4%, they took a big hit yesterday. Putsy up 77, that's a full percent, CAC around up 91, 1.4, so pretty bullish in, in Europe today. Uh, Bonds up 1 basis point, 2.67, a Bund unchanged at 0.68, Japan unchanged, or actually up 1. To point two four oil up uh, fourteen cents, but now you gotta be careful. We do this every morning because this thing moves during the day. Now it's up fourteen cents, but it's ninety six seventeen. So we had it over a hundred yesterday. So it was down huge during the day after the show. Brent down fifteen cents, one hundred one hundred hours and forty three cents. Natural gas up a dime six forty six. This is up dollar and a half in like a couple of weeks. This is a big move in natural gas. Arbob uh, down a penny to three oh two. We've got gold down 270, 1935, right kind of locked in this 1930 range here. Silver unchanged, 2474. Copper up 4 cents, 474. And we've got the Bitcoin uh, down 157 at 43,344. Now, is this for a quote, uh, Kevin? And guys who likes everybody, Peter Thiel, whoever the hell he is, calls Warren Buffett a sociopathic grandpa for Omaha, from Omaha and Bitcoin's enemy number one. So a synthetic stock, somebody who says it's it's worth nothing when it's worth nothing, is a sociopathic grandpa. I guess I could be sociopathic, but I'm not a grandpa. So anyway, <laughs> Matt, what do you got for us, uh, Traffic Weather Sports? Yeah, good morning. Currently 6.36 a.m. on Friday, April 8th, 2022. Let's get you into sports real quick. Uh, last night in the NBA, uh, the Bulls... Oh, actually, no, that'll be tonight. My bad. Tonight, Bulls, uh, Charlotte Hornets, 7 p.m. Central Time. And the Suns play the Utah Jazz, 8.30 p.m. Central Time. But yesterday, we'll get into the MLB. Uh, Cubs win their opening day at Wrigley Field against Milwaukee Brewers. That's 5-4. to four. Diamondbacks take down San Diego Padres 4-2. to two. That's all for sports. 
Weather today on Chicago, cloudy with a chance of rain later on, 38 degrees, high of 40 and a low of 32. Phoenix, clear skies, 65 degrees, high of 96 and a low of 64. Hearing that just hurts. Traffic yeah. traffic uh, currently in Chicago. There's a slowdown uh, eastbound Eisenhower between Wolf Road and Des Plaines. Traffic westbound Eisenhower between Austin and 25th Avenue. It's caused by an accident before 17th Avenue, exit 19A. Traffic westbound Dan Ryan between 43rd Street and ta- all the way up to Taylor Street. Wow. Slowdown eastbound and Kennedy between Cumberland all the way to Foster Avenue. And finally, traffic northbound and Stevenson between South Central all the way to Pulaski. That's all we got, Chief. Back to you. Um, Kevin, here's an interesting headline. Uh, by the way, if you, if you got that email, it's pretty interesting, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I saw it. Yep. Uh, so here's a good one. Now, as everybody thinks that inflation is bad for everybody, which, of course, if you listen here, it's not bad for everybody. It's really good for a lot of people. Uh, and uh, and you see the corporate uh, CEOs. In fact, I think I've seen this guy on TV um, come on and say, oh, God, you know, if I didn't have my shirt button, my heart would pop out. We just have so much... Uh, su- supply chain problems and price increases up. We just had to raise prices. Well, here's a headline from Bank America. Kroger could pop 25% as higher food prices drive earnings. Now, is that, now if you're, if you like the, the Kroger, you say it's good for the company, it's margin expansion, Kevin, or do you say they're raising prices faster than the prices are being raised to them? Yeah, and I think that uh, if it's the latter, then the, that that's a game that's going to catch up to them. Uh, I'm not well, so sure. After paying eight bucks for the bulb the other day at Home Depot, I'm not so sure. I I think those those places are pretty locked in in some areas. Well, there, there is some point though where you're you're just not going to buy the bulb. You can say, I, you know, <laughs> I don't need to see that. that I'll, much. St- I'll stay in the dark. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but you know, they, I mean, they're. they're there does get to be a point where that's discretionary. I was just talking about this with some uh, some of my fellow wizards last night, um, and you know this the, the idea of you know because you know one of the one of the comments I heard was uh, yeah you know I'm still going to put gas in my car no matter what. And I said yeah, but if you're living on the edge, if you're just trying to make it to the next paycheck, and all of a sudden I put uh, you know I took an extra twenty dollars out of your budget for gasoline because you have to get to work. And I took an extra, even you know, fifty dollars out of your grocery uh, basket. Um, you know, all of a sudden you're not making it. You're not making it to Friday. And yeah, yeah. And, and and those are those are probably low numbers uh, for for most people. So, you know, once once that starts happening, then Kroger's. I'm sorry, Kroger's not uh, is not going to be able to uh, match their cost increases with prices. They're just not going to be able to do it because people can't won't be able to buy. You know, everybody's going to go to Aldi then or, or someplace that's way cheaper. Well, the, uh, uh I mean, this, I think when, when people say stuff like that, I'm not, it's not going to bother me until it's five bucks or something. What they're really saying is, is everybody sort of has a line. And, and I will bet you that even your friend, whoever he is, uh, unbeknownst to him maybe, let's say, say he and his wife both have cars. And he's got a suburban like I do and his wife's got you know, something that gets 30 miles at a gallon. I will bet you that somewhere, someday, before $5, if that's his number, at 450 a gallon, he's going to say, I'm only going five miles at a store. I'm not, I don't need a whole lot of room for anything. I'll just hop in the Weiss car. Well, or, or if I know. need something, I'm, I'm going to start making the decision to say, 
uh, it'll wait. It'll yeah. wait until I need to. Uh, I can get multiple yeah, uh, I mean, stops done in a trip. I think the, the the lesson is that there's there's so many million choices that everybody makes countrywide every day economically. You, you 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 lose track of how many there are, but there's all kinds of them, and they all affect a lot of stuff. But it also is there's no. I, I would never. Pick, pick a, uh, a a business that I think is actually very competitive, I and mean, you know, people say it isn't, is retail gasoline. I mean, you know, somewhere along the way, there might not be enough refineries, and you know, there, there, there's 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 maybe anti-competitive or non-competitive goosenecks or bottlenecks in the in the oil industry. But at the at the at the base level, I, I don't think if 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 the there's no rule that says if you go out and buy gas for four bucks a gallon, and all of a sudden. You know, the president lets stuff out. Something happens, and, and, and gasoline is selling for three seventy-five. There's no rule that somebody has to come come and buy your gas for four bucks until you're out of it. You just bleep out of luck. You're selling at three seventy-five. Well, look, look what happened with the free gas giveaway. Yeah, people are so sensitized to gasoline that uh, you know that anything that's a good deal. And so, yeah, it is competitive because if there's two stations on on the corner at the intersection. Um, and one of them's two cents a gallon cheaper than the other. People will make the left turn instead of the right turn. Right, and I also, but I also don't really don't think morally, if you happen to catch it right and it's your day, uh, and, and you and you bought the gas at three fifty, thinking you're going to sell it at three seventy five, and all of a sudden the price went to four bucks. I don't think you have any obligation if the market price is four dollars to offer it at three seventy five. You get to win one once in a while too, right? Uh, you're definitely not a Democrat anymore. Uh, when it came to money, I don't think it was ever anything other than somebody that's the yeah, way, I, that's the way the market works. But this is, you know, we get this, we get this comment that, uh, you know, that, that they're gouging, that they're taking advantage. You know what? I, I don't think there's as nearly as much gouging as the politicians oh, no. would have you believe. The gouging is in the um, stuff they do. <laughs> I mean, who's gonna do? Do you honestly think that the, I mean, the, uh, I mean, oil companies, if there's any gouging, I mean, it, it's in your particular plot. Everybody has a cost of, uh, like I said, everybody has a cost to produce. If you happen to have an oil well that's, you know, fifty years old and you're getting five five barrels a day out of the thing with some one of those bump bump old, old, old uh, pumps, it, it, that thing may be costing you five bucks. You're under no obligation to sell it to somebody at seven when the when the, when the price is a hundred. You should get your hundred. You're the ones who, because someday along the way it might have been three bucks and you were still getting, it would cost you five. Nobody's handing you the two. You're preaching to the choir, Tom. But, but the point is it all, it all evens out. Because the market price ends up being the market price. I mean, there's nothing that says a farmer, if, if he, if he throws, uh, corn in the ground for two fifty a bushel, that when he goes to sell it, it's not going to be two thirty. But who's guaranteeing him that? Nobody. So the day that it's it's four fifty, that's why people hedge stuff, is because if they say, "Okay, it cost me two fifty to get in the ground, I can sell the forward right now at four bucks, I'll do it." My basis is is fifty cents to get it to the Illinois River, so I make a buck. And if the price goes to eight, he doesn't get the eight; he, he sold it as four. I mean, you know, this is this is the way the world works. There's winners and losers, Kevin, and and you know what? The fact that there are makes it work better. But the idea that somehow. Uh, you know, the, the guy, the guy should somehow sell his oil to somebody at five hours. It's like Saddam Hussein's kids. When we said, it was all over the place here, but 
there's a whole history of oil that I read about a lot. When uh, they said when Iraq, when Saddam Hussein was still alive, they were going to let the guy sell enough oil for humanitarian purposes, but he had to sell it at twelve bucks when the the going rate was thirty. Now, Kevin, is anybody is anybody dumb enough to think that that oil was going to get to the end user to you at twelve bucks a barrel? When gasoline is whatever it was, I'm, three, I'm, I'm pretty sure it did. I think there was somebody knocking on my door saying, "Come on, get." Yeah, here you go. Here's here's your little little thing, right? So his sons were getting what six bucks, and uh, what's the uh, the big European firm, the French firm? They were getting the other six. By the time it got anywhere, it was thirty bucks. Um, you know, the official price was twelve, but there's all kinds of fingers in the pie. You know, that's why when you when you have a uh, anything anything that's non-economic, all of a sudden thumbs come out anywhere, right, Kevin? And stick themselves in there. <laughs> Just. It's just the way it is. If, if you give somebody, uh, you know, forty million dollars for I just have this mental image of somebody growing thumbs out of different. <laughs> well, I mean, what, what if you if you if you do do something with Dan Ryan and you pay fifty million dollars for something supposed to be forty? I guarantee you, there's Alderman's thumbs in that one. There's people in that trying to get that ten. They all know the price should be forty. There's ten there for the good, right? Yeah, yeah, ten for the big guy. Yeah, ten for somebody, and it gets spread around. It could spread around. I, while I'm on this rant here, which I shouldn't be, because uh, we have other stuff to talk about, one of the interesting, I actually should write a paper on this, is uh, when I came to the trading floor, the, the going rate for, uh, for, like, for instance, if I was a member, well, which I was, or even if I wasn't, if I was off the floor and, put, and sent orders down to the trading floor when you had brokers in the pits and so forth, and you gave your order to the broker and said, I want to buy this and, you know, this contingency and blah, 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 or if I want to do a spread, the going rate was a dollar, a dollar a contract. But that was too high over time. Business got good, and brokers were willing to do it for less than that. They go, the actual market price was, I'm going to say, 65 cents a contract. So if you were a uh, any, anybody who did a lot of business, everybody knew that if they send you a bill for 300 You'd say minus 30 or nine, minus 35. You'd discount it. A couple firms didn't, but most people did. You'd cut it down to 30, to 35 or 30. Because if you went to the guy and said, I'm going to do $500 with a brokerage a month, what are you going to do? He just take, he'll just say, he or she, take 30% off. Okay. So you took it off. Well, now the Board of Trade had a rule against that, that you couldn't discount the dollar that most people adhered to. So what do you suppose happened, Kevin? The people who were running the desks and on the phones, just regular clerks, would say, I got you a customer, but I want 30 cents for every order I get you. People showed up to to fill in the difference between the market price, which was 65 or 70, and the listed price for a buck. Now, the CBOE, you just discounted it, and and there were no middlemen. But on on the Board of Trade and and the Merck, that's why you got all, all of a sudden, People that should never have been in the industry, should I, shall I say, entered the industry because there was this massive split in the, in the brokerage between what people were charging and what the market price was. It was a cottage industry of, of brokers and of you know of, of guy. Every, everybody in a phone desk was was a was a salesman for his broker. Hey, use my guy. By the way, I get thirty. Uh, he'll kick me back thirty cents. That type of thing. So it was it was right here in two different buildings. Of what happens when there's a when there's a price that is not the market price versus one that is, and all all this stuff happens. It's, it's right in front of you. And you're saying the market will fill in the blanks. For yes, you. we'll absolutely fill in the blanks for you. That thirty cents is in play. 
you know, and it just, and it, and it just, it just works. So what, uh, what do you make of, uh, these new major league baseball? I'm, I'm concerned about baseball, uh, Kevin. A, a, uh, we're talking about shifting around today. We're covering every subject. I mean, Matty Weber is one, he, he popped this in my head. If you look at every other sport that has had, you know, in, increasing time of games, it's almost always the marketing, the commercials, the blah, blah, blah. Baseball, you look at the Cub game yesterday, the five to four game, it was over three hours. Take it over to like 4.30. Kevin, that's absurd for a baseball game. It just is absurd. Now, if it was extra inning 20 to 12, I get it, but it wasn't. The, and here, here's what I see, you can tell me if I'm wrong. The, the fight is in the game itself. The starting pitchers, who pretty much have a routine, they're pretty much okay. I say pretty much okay, but the relief pitchers, what the, what the game wants and what the coaches want is for some guy to throw the ball a million miles an hour every single pitch, which is fine, except that in order to do that, you need the rest. If you had your own way, you'd probably rest at least a minute between pitches, maybe a minute and a half. Okay, but that, that's murder on the game. And yet, that I think is the struggle baseball has. What are you going to do about it? And I think there are some starters, like yesterday, I mean, Hendricks throws pretty fast. Some other people do. But when, when, because that is the problem. You want people to pitch in 15 seconds, but if you want somebody to throw 100 miles an hour every pitch, he wants a minute rest. How, how do you, how do you, how do you combat that? What do you do with that if that's you, if you're a commissioner? Well, I think they've made some steps in the right direction, but there is way, way more to go. One is you could go pitch clock, I, and I would have no problem with that. Um, you, you pitch it within a certain uh, amount of time uh, from when the ball gets to the mound, and um, you know <laughs> it's like the uh, play clock in basketball. It's, it starts the minute possession starts. So as soon as the ball hits the pitcher's glove, Boom, clock goes on. I don't know what the number's supposed to be for it, but, but you have a number on it, so you don't have all that poking around out there. But I mean, what I'm saying is, go. it's, it's not but, just... But I think that would help, but I, I also think it has helped uh, a little bit of making the uh, pitchers pitch to at least three batters. Uh, it has helped some, but, but I mean, this is... The, the You have, you and I saying, the pitch clock is 20 seconds. Just throw the damn ball. Uh, but the other guys are saying, no, we want this guy to throw at 105, and if he's throwing, ma- if he's doing max output on every pitch, he needs, a, he needs, uh, I mean, you don't, you don't have guys run sprinting heats with, with 40 seconds between the heat. You give somebody. Yeah, well, and, and I don't, I don't want anybody to get hurt, so pace yourself. You know, just like, just like the real pitchers used to do. Well, but that's not what you want. You want this guy, he probably only has one pitch. And he's going to throw it 100 miles an hour. And when he's done, we got another guy in the next thing. That's why we're not getting many hitting, right? Or not as much. Well, which would be worse? What if you took away the three batter minimum and, uh, and, and let him come in and throw heat to one guy, but he did it on a pitch clock at 20 seconds? I, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you're going to have to fool around with it. Whatever it is, you, you just can't, the, the, the game, you know, they, they just can't make their game boring. You can't keep doing that. I, I'm with you. you know, it's, it's like, you know, I, I very much, one of the things I really like about going to college basketball games is that the game's going to fit in a two-hour time slot. But lately, the, the last two minutes have four reviews that last four minutes each, and it ruins the game. And they, you know, they have to, sooner or later, they have to become conscious of that and say, 
you know, we're making our game unwatchable and uh, or, or making it a, a much better game on television so that people don't come in person. Because when you're on, you know, when it's on television, you can go do something else while you're while they're putzing around. Well, if you had three timeouts left with a minute to go, and uh, and you have a review to last two minutes, the very least you should subtract a timeout from each team. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Now, if one team doesn't have any left, I don't know what you do about that. But I'm saying the, the only sport technical foul. Yeah, the, the foul. Only, don't have close plays. Damn it. Yeah, but the, but, the, but the only but in every sport I was watching the Hawks last night just to see how bad they really are. But or the Bulls, I mean, those guys give up 120 points a night every night, and they, they understand they understand why they're losing. They don't stop yeah, anybody. Well, and, but let's let's go back on ruining the game just for yeah. a second because but you you have to ask yourself, you know, in the case of replays, for example, and baseball has replays as well. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to get every single call right, or are you trying to make sure? that we don't decide the game on an egregiously bad call. Uh, I think the umpire is... It's going to change the amount of time you're going to dedicate to doing reviews, and if you can't get a review done in 30 seconds, then it's not an egregiously bad call. Well, there there used to be... Well, there were always egregiously bad calls. I mean, the one World Series, but I when they first started replay, Kevin, I, I was stunned at how often on close plays the umps were correct. And then when replay first started, the umps seemed to have a real problem. They hated it when one of their calls got reversed. Now they don't care. They just wing a call out there, and so what? It gets reviewed and it gets overturned. Yeah, we'll What's the big deal? If it's wrong, we'll fix it. Yeah. But I think I think the way more are wrong now. You, you know what? In, in, in the uh, in the quality management world, that that's that's the what the, what people do with inspections on the production line. Inspections are a great way. Hey, just. Push it down. Push it down the line. Somebody will outsource it when uh, later, and that's how you hide your. That's how you hide the poor quality. Well, that's how you hide poor officiating too. Is by uh, uh, is by just doing exactly what you described. Just saying, screw it. You know, that somebody else will pick it up. Well, my my uncle used. To, he, we loved baseball. A lot of those old guys really did. And he and he said, you know, Tanner should never be a bad call at first base. You position yourself close enough to where you stare at the base and the guy's foot. And you listen for the ball to hit. He goes, "How do you screw up that call?" Well, now these guys are so far away from first base they can't hear the ball. And how do you how do you have a game doesn't go by where there isn't a review at first base of all the places? There's nobody sliding. There's nobody anything. It's a bang bang sound call. How do you screw that one up? Uh, you know what? I, 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 you can screw up a close play, but you know, can you can you do it horribly? You shouldn't. No. But why are they why are they now twenty feet from the bag when they make the call? What does that what does that gain you? You know, I, I don't know and I have paid very little attention to umpire positioning soft. I'll have to watch it myself now. Now that you brought it up, I'll have to pay attention to it. All right, so uh how do how do you figure now that we've talked about everything in the world, um how do you figure next week plays out with the Fed doing or the next couple weeks? Are they actually gonna Say what they're going to do. Matter of fact, uh, the guy here uh, who I like, Fed Bullard, the guy from St. Louis, he says interest rate policy is behind the curve but making progress. Kevin, they're at a half of one percent. What is he talking about? They're making progress. So we we haven't known that this uh, that this was necessary. We haven't known that uh, rate hikes were necessary, and now we're a little behind the curve, but we're getting the hang of it. Jeez, we're we're, we're stopping talking about it. 
and getting to the point where we might actually do something. I guess that is progress. We've been talking about it for two years. How yeah. long have we been talking about it? Uh, two years, roughly. Okay. So, uh, yeah, The oh, by the way, I, I, uh, I, I always talk about, I won't say names or anything like that, but talked to a potential client yesterday of one of the firms I deal with. The dude's from the, uh, he's from the South. Not that that, you know. So, uh, I always, I always talk, Kevin, about people, the big lie, as, you know, as Hitler described. If you did it right, 40%, even years later, when it's been totally debunked, 40% of the people will still believe it. <clears throat> so, I, you know, this potential client on the phone yesterday, and he's talking about, he goes, well, you know, this inflation, I can't believe how bad this is. This guy, Biden, uh, He's the worst, second worst president we ever had. And I said, well, he may turn out to be. Uh, and I'm no real big fan of the, what's going on there. I said, but the one thing you really can't pin on the guy is inflation, because that's been like a 12 to 20 year phenomenon that just all of a sudden got worse and worse and worse. Oh no, it's gotta be like him. Just like, just like Carter, he was like the worst president. He, uh, you know, he, he brought up all the, you know, he had all this inflation. I said, well, then again, you might want to mention uh, the whip inflation now buttons when Jerry Ford was there and Nixon's wage and price control. So it sort of happened long before Carter. And then the coup de grace goes, if Reagan didn't hire Volcker, we'd have been screwed for another decade. I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Carter hired Volcker, not Reagan. Now I didn't. It is amazing the history of some people, Kevin. It is stunning. Yeah, well, and, and the one thing, you know, as, as you discuss it, yeah, I, I think Carter was very much uh, a victim of his predecessors, uh, except that Carter did not have any ability to um, to express any optimism for the right. American people. Oh, never his, once his, said it was a... His failing, yeah. his failing was was as a leader. Uh, in in Biden's case, and it's it, I don't even know who's making who's running the government, because I'm pretty sure it's not the president. Um, but in his case, I, I think they they took a phenomenon and just poured gasoline on that fire, um, and and it was so unnecessary. You know, I, I remember saying on 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 this show uh, that you know what if what they what they really should be doing is things are going to come back. People are going to start getting jobs. There, you know, inflation is inevitable, but. For a while, it's going to be really good, and they should be do nothing and pat themselves on the back and take credit for uh, the recovery from the all the pandemic crap. And instead, they just poured more money into the system, more money into the system, and now they are getting exactly the result that they, that you that was inevitable for it. Well, except um, that, you know, and and this is inflation you can't hide anymore. Except that a lot of those people, that it's low. a lot of those people, you poured the money in, Kevin. I mean, I don't, I don't have the books of Jennifer. We got a dash here in a sec. I got of the books that Jet blew in front of me, the place was damn near shut down for two years. And yet we we gave them so much money that they're paying three point six billion dollars. They come out of that two years with three point six billion to buy another airline. I understand that. I, I understand that, and, I, I, you, and you're right. And and we started pouring money in during the Trump administration. Don't yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. Don't think I don't realize that. But then we just piled on. We kept piling yeah. on long after there was any justification. Any even any even stupid justification left for it. Well, I still think, um, and, and both sides of the aisle argue with me, but I, I still think that if if Trump, if the Republicans would not have pulled eight hundred dollars off the two thousand dollar check, I think it was eight hundred, that Trump wanted to send out to everybody, 
and, and Biden promised to, to make up the 800 or 1200, whatever it was, I think the election would have been a lot closer. Yeah, might have been. Anyway, but take care of yourself, bud. We'll talk to you next week. SP Futures, uh, we're, same thing, up 15. We're buried on this up 15 number. NASA Futures up 48. We'll be right back, Mr. Carl Denninger. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Alley. He's Mr. Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures up 13.50. We've moved a little off that 15 number. We've been stuck. Uh, NASDAQ Futures up 43. Do we have Mr. Carl? You do. How are you, bud? I just uh, I am doing well. I just forwarded you that uh, picture Angelica sent us. Yeah, I uh, I saw the original copy. Um, you know, are, are we willing to, to have the conversation in this country about why this event actually happened yet? Uh, I'm going to say no. Yeah, okay. I, I, I didn't think so, because I certainly haven't seen any of it in the so-called mainstream media. Uh, never I haven't really seen anybody talking about Maiden, our part in Maiden, the fact that the Azov brigades were almost certainly the snipers who were shooting at people in the square. Um, but, and by the way, my evidence for that is, is quite simple. It's been eight years, and they never caught any of them, and never prosecuted one. No, I, so, uh, I yeah. always go back, Carl, to that, I mean, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that the world would be perfect if, if they were still around, but 
in my mind, they were somewhat a lot better. And, and, and you know what? I should. It's, it's probably my own laziness. I'm not gonna. I mean, because you seem to find this stuff out, but I used to like getting my weekly magazines where where somebody somewhere would take the time and get the money to say, "Here's what's going on in uh, in uh, wherever it happens to be." You know. It, uh, right, and uh, and here's what here's on whose side, here's on the other, who's backing these guys? How this is how many guns these guys have? They, you would get the I'll use the term the lay of the land. I mean, when the Israeli all the different the different wars they had, I seem to recall that I always knew, or at least had a uh, a twelve to twenty page article in front of me with a bunch of maps. I could tell you where you know where this group was. This is where the Syrians were. Here's where the other guys were. This is where the Jordanians. Right. I mean, where there was. The, the information was put together in me, and in, in a, in a, now, I, I maybe somebody's doing that somewhere on the web. If I went to, you know, the British Times or something, something, but it's it's not dropped on your doorstep where we try and actually educate people about what the hell's going on. Are, are we doing that on purpose to just keep everybody sort of in the dark, or what? What are we doing? Well, all those, all that media is gone. Yeah, that's okay. what I'm saying. It's all so, gone. I mean, it, 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 some of the, I mean, you know, Time Magazine is not technically gone, but it may as well be gone. Um, it, it, nowadays, people's attention span is limited to the thirty seconds it takes to flash something on their smartphone. Yeah, and and like it or not, that's the world we live in. Okay, so you know that's where we are. Uh, anybody under the age of about forty uh, doesn't do any kind of a dive into anything using anything. I mean, it's you know if it's not on Google, it didn't happen. It's not real. Um, when you and I were growing up, if you wanted to understand something beyond the you know the thirty seconds that you got from the local newspaper, on you know, but you know, one of the ones I read, I read the Trib when I was you know when I lived in Chicago. Okay, I, I actually got it. I got the Wall Street Journal at my office. It was you know showed up every morning, and it was one of the first things I went through. It was okay, you know, let's at least look at the first couple of pages of the front section, and. And why? Because that was, you know, that was where it was. And then, if if you wanted to know what was going on when I was in Chicago, well, you went down to the Harold Washington Library and you, you know, you, you dug through the stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, nobody does that anymore. And and uh, do those uh, do those places even exist? Well, you know what they do. But what, what do people go in the? Uh, I'm willing to bet that if you walked into the Harold Washington Library today. That the majority of the people were there because they have free Wi-Fi. I'm, I'm sure. Well, then our buddy Jack. I mean, and that's and that's basically what they're doing there. They're they're sitting there with their laptop or their phone, and and they're on the free Wi-Fi, and, and that's what they're doing. They're not in the card catalog. They're not back in the rack of of stuff, and they certainly aren't getting interlibrary loans of things that the library doesn't have. Uh, you know, waiting two weeks for it to show up. It and so what you have is a world where. There is no real thinking going on beyond you know the, the the next hot thing, whatever that is. And I, you know, I look at this this situation most of the time when there is a war, there are no good guys. There are only right. degrees of bad guys. I think you're right about that. And, and, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that you can't take a side because, uh, you know, wars like that, right? People take sides. Uh, what else is new? But it does mean that this rush to this guy good, this guy bad 
is almost always wrong. Right? And and when you look at things in context and you go back and you even even in situations you know, we we got dragged into two world wars, right? Um you know, <laughs> How about the Lusitania? One of the main reasons we went into World War One was that ship was sunk and it had a bunch of Americans on it. Right. And, and the Germans told us they were going to sink it. They even took out full-page advertisements in our papers and told us they were going to sink it. And the reason they said they were going to sink it was because it had our, we were shipping arms on it, which was a direct violation of, of our proclaimed neutrality. And, and they said, you're lying, we're going to sink the ship. And, well, guess what? They got the opportunity, there was bad weather, there was a U-boat that happened to be in the area, and they, and they sunk the ship. Okay, we went into the war, and the entire time, the United States and Britain said, there, there was no banned cargo on that ship. It was all humanitarian and passengers. Well, guess what? 50 years later, it turns out that was a load of bull. Oh, yeah. No, no. All right, and so you know, and it was proved, and and the British even went so far as to try to destroy the evidence by depth charging it during peacetime, so nobody could go find it. They failed, and and the evidence was original was eventually found and brought to the surface. And and hey, look, what's this? You know, what's this five million rounds worth of three hundred three doing in the hole? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the but the thing is, is that we have we have all these things that go on, and this. In this particular situation, I, this this sucks, especially if you're one of those people that's over there and, ha- and has kids and you're caught in the middle of it. But the United States and the Western, the so-called Western world, caused this war. Well, we caused this war directly. I, we caused it by going over, and, and we we directly caused the invasion in November of last year. We went over there, and our State Department issued a, a formal statement that essentially invited Ukraine into NATO. Okay, but I, I see you and I, we we agree on most things. We're we're never going to totally agree on this one. I I I am wary. Well, I think I'm aware that of the no goodnik stuff that our our people do. I think that if you went back and reviewed all, all the evidence, you'd find that Saddam Hussein, as much of a lunkhead as the guy was, cl- clearly felt that he had our okay to go into Kuwait. Now, whether absolutely, he, I, we we all but told him that he could yeah, do it. Yeah, and I, and but the thing of it is, my point is, when you start killing people, I don't care what somebody told you; it's on you. Oh no! I, I don't get me wrong. I am not arguing that Russia. Is, is a good guy, or that Putin is a good guy. Okay, that's, that isn't the argument at all. Right, I understand. That we, we knew that there was a line that if we crossed it, Russia would go in there. For some reason, we, knew, people... where, we knew where it was, and furthermore, we had agreed in the 1990s we wouldn't cross the line. I don't know why this, always, this is always going on someplace, Carl. And, it is. And, and, and you know what? But but we shouldn't be surprised. Look, Europe Europe has a, a what, thousand-year written history, more than a thousand-year written history, that every 20 or 30 years, some group of people over there gets mad enough at, the, at another group of people over there, they decide to kill each other? Well, yeah. I, uh, 
And we have had an extraordinary, we, we think we're so special. We have had an extraordinary period of time since the end of World War II where, you know, we said, oh, no, there haven't been any of that. Oh, really? Georgia, anybody? I think it's called how about, the... Uh, how about Sarajevo? It used to be called the Pax Americana, correct? Well, but you know, the, 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 what, I, what I look at is when you, when you look at the, the reality of it, the stuff has been been over there, and therefore we don't we, we you know we don't care. Madame Albright had had to have her little dust up because she had her ethnic connection to to one thing that was going on, and she ignored the one in Rwanda that was happening at the same time and was just as bad, if not worse. Okay, it was a literal slaughter, and and why? Well, nobody had any ethnic interest in what was going on in Rwanda, and and oh by the way, they were all black. Well, there, and there's no money there. There's no, there's no. Well, that's right. There's, yeah. no, there's no oil. There's no whatever. And you know, one of the points that you made during the first hour was, you know, look at what's happened with oil supplies and things like this. You do realize that after the Arab oil embargo, we gave the global oil producers immunity from antitrust. Uh, we also gave Saudis uh, after the embargo. We gave them. I think if, if they. You can tell me this is true. I know it used to be true that when they go to a uh, treasury auction, they're not specifically named as a buyer, right? That's but, right. That's correct. So, but see, here's the thing: is that we have <laughs> we we created the monopoly conditions under which oil trades today. We have refused to. We did it decades ago we've refused to revoke it and without that exception it is explicitly a felony to do what they do well, where, where do you where do you see the uh, the antitrust piece where's where's the antitrust bottleneck because if you look at the, the amount well, of co- co- well, co- uh, uh, chief co- <laughs> go read 15 USC no, no. chapter 1 First two sections, okay? It, it is a felony to collude and restrain prices. Well, I, I get that part. I mean, but I'm saying these are these are countries doing. I mean, I look at well, I mean, doesn't matter. Okay, I'm saying we're. I'm, I'm, I'm asking. I'm not arguing. I'm asking the question. If you look at retail gasoline, I see that as one of the most competitive things out there. Okay. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. And if you look absolutely, at, I, I mean, you know, all you got to do is drive down the street yeah. here. There's, you know, five gas stations within two miles, and every single one of them, you know, none of them will have a single car in it if they're off by more than a, a penny or two. Yeah, so when I'm, when I'm saying that on the, on the other end, you've got, last time I checked, there's like 20 countries that export oil. Uh, you know, OPEC has an issue, not, not, right. not all the same. So on that end, it's somewhat competitive as well, if, if you, you know, forget OPEC for a second. But certainly in the drilling end, I mean, you and I could go in this country and start drilling in somebody's backyard in Ohio, and nobody bothers us doing it. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm saying you're right. The whole thing looks like it's it's a uh, a big cartel, but it really isn't. What, what, now the reform and refinery piece. Now that might be different. Okay, I'm saying which bottleneck are you looking at? Is the part that is the the the, the part they control. Well, you, you, I mean, you, you know as well as anybody because you, you know, you've been trading for a long time as have I. 
that when it comes to commodities, and I don't care what the commodity is, whatever you, if, if you want to burn one million barrels of oil today, you are going to pay for every one of those million, whatever the price is for the last one. Right. Okay? And it's the same for corn, it's the same for oats, it's the same for wheat, it's the same, it, all commodities trade that way. It's, it's the reason you have a, a, you know, a futures quote, for gold and silver and, and, you know, and every other physical commodity, all of them. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, in the first hour, I was mentioning that, that you and I could have one of those little, what are they, I could call them the bump bump pumps, which is an idiot thing to say. What are the, what are those little ones? If you drive down I-80, you'll see the, the one that looks like it's in the 1930s. It's got the two little things on pump the jack. side. It goes, what, what do you call that thing? Pump jack. All right. So, so those things are pulling out five barrels a day. I got to believe it costs a guy like 50 cents a barrel, right? <laughs> Yeah, what, well, I don't know. I don't know what the what the power costs to run those things. Okay. All right. So say uh, ten bucks, but you're under no obligation when you go down the road and and sell it to the guy when the, when the price is eighty of saying no, it only cost me ten, only give me twenty. I mean, you, you're right. You sell you sell it at the at the single price, assuming you can get it to the delivery spot. You have your basis right. risk, obviously. Well, but that's how that's how it works. Yeah. So and, and the thing is, there is a point. You know, if it, when when prices were very low, you you might have recalled that if you drove down the road, you saw an awful lot of those things were turned off. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because it's not worth the amount of money it costs to run the motor to drive the thing to you know to get the oil out. It's probably uh, it's probably worth it. If, when the price goes up, it all of a sudden becomes worth it again, doesn't it? I bet you could actually. I bet if you could sell it right there, it would still be worth it. But it's not worth you going out there. and pumping it on a truck and driving 80 miles or 100 miles to Cushing to drop it off. Well, nothing's free. Yeah. Right, I mean, transport's not free. You know, nothing's free. you got to look at the entire thing. But the, the, the point I'm making, though, Chief, is that we, we have a market where when there have been co- supply constraints, okay, like we have right now, where we've decided that, okay, Russia bad, um, we're we're going to artificially take their supply off the market because we're mad at them. Okay, so we did that. That creates a supply constraint. When you do that, price does exactly what you would expect it to do. Right. It goes up. Okay, fine. Well, guess what? The guys at OPEC, including the Saudis, wring their hands in glee when we do things like this. And yet, under the law, but for that exemption, that wringing their hands in glee and, and doing what they do as a combined force, as e- even to have a conversation about the price of oil, is a felony. Uh, you and I know that. Name me ten other people that know that. Well, not many, right? But what's yeah. even more more the case is that you have all these people wringing their hands about this, including Joe Biden, who is, you know, oh, you know, it's, it's these green oil companies and, and Elizabeth Warren and everybody, oh, we're going to get these guys. Um, excuse me, Congress could in five minutes put to put a bill on the floor that has has one sentence in it. It says the the exemption for for nations and any other party in regards to the oil company that exempts them from antitrust is hereby revoked. All right, so how do you how do you have a law against other nations? Well, the, the, because the the reality is is that uh you know the the way antitrust law is written 
it applies not just to interstate commerce, but also to international commerce. It explicitly so states, and therefore, uh, you know, gee, if somebody wants to violate it, uh, guess what? That's 10 years in the slam slam. And, oh, well, that's some sultan over in Saudi Arabia. Uh, well, you issue the indictment and said sultan can't set foot in the United States or any other country that has an extradition treaty with us because it's a criminal felony. He goes to prison. He can't go down to Florida and, and deal with the young girls like they were doing? Right. And, and, you know, and, uh, gee, you know, he's got this. I, we are so, we're so mad at Putin that we sanctioned his daughters. Yeah. Which, who, by the way, have absolutely nothing to do with him. Right, they don't yeah, live yeah. with the guy. They're not. I mean, they're they're grown and gone. We're not talking about children here. We're talking about adult people that, as far as I know, have no role in the government. I haven't done a great deal of research on this, but I don't think either one of them has any role in the in the Russian government at all. Um, I was with a couple of dudes last night, and Kevin and I had this discussion. I just want your your take. Uh, these guys are uh, uh, both attorneys, but that makes them. I guess that makes them bad. Um, but they uh good guys and uh they're they're they were questioning is on the people around the show because they know the you know the clientele I have that call in and so forth um, is there any sort of limit to Russian atrocities where we're going to say we can't put up with it because they're we because their their point being they they understand the part about how many times we fought a war without any good reason for it and people got killed as my as my cousin says from Columbus. Every time there's a war, one group of people makes money, and one group of people have their kids killed, right? And right. Uh, so, does anybody want to do that? The answer is no. He said, but as, as the maybe the last and only bastion of, of a democracy, as bad as we have it here in terms of our democracy, we're like the world's only hope, and we should never forget that. I, I honestly believe that, Carl. At some point, uh, you know, if the atrocities get so bad, is there a point we have to do something? Whatever the something is, you know, I don't know, and I, but I think if we're going to take that position, and and we're going to say that we have to, do, we're we're going to play the we have to do something card. Uh, that is a debate that needs to happen within Congress, and it needs to be done the way it's supposed to be done, and is set forth in, in you know in our Constitution, which says that if if you're going to actually get involved in a war. And, and all this backdoor nonsense that we've been doing for the last 50 years has got to stop. I would agree. If we're going to actually get involved in a war, in any kind of war action, I don't care what it is, you want to ship arms, you want to sanction people, You're doing, then you take that issue to Congress and you get a declaration signed and it's signed by the President. I would say right now, Carl, if, if you and I would get, if you and I, you and I were in the Oval Office, we'd be arguing all day long, but it, the world might be a better place. My suggestion would be, and I don't think you would disagree with this. I'd say let's who are we'll send Matt. Matt, go get ten bright guys on the left side of the aisle, ten from the right side of the aisle, and we're going to Camp David this weekend and tell them to whoever cancel whatever plans they got, and we're going to put on the on the board everything that we know is going on and everything we know that's happening. My bags are packed. My Expo marker pen is ready. And your your hand is ready. Your hand is ready to go. <laughs> oh my hand is juiced up and ready to go. <laughs> uh, but I'm saying you need to keep people apprised and say, look, this is getting real bad. I'm not I'm not advising. Here's what we're doing. Here's what we've done to date. Here's how bad it is. I'm just letting everybody know. I don't know where the line is here, and I'm not so sure you do either. But whatever, wherever it gets there, collectively we're going to get there. Or not get there. Hopefully, not get there. But at some point, 
I mean, Luz told me, what kind of an army do these guys have, Carl? Luz told me yesterday that his people in Ukraine are saying, these guys, the Russian army is pulling people's washing machines out and shipping them back to China, or uh, Russia. What the hell? What kind of armies do these guys have? Are they a bunch of goons or what? Well, I, you know, I, I don't know. What I, what I do know is that exactly nothing of what is put out in the, in the media regarding what's happening over there i believe none of it without without hard proof and and here's you know just <laughs> just yesterday in fact it was admitted that all this stuff about russia is is about to use or is using chems over propaganda yeah i don't i don't really believe i didn't believe that one either yet i mean well but but i'm saying that there you know i mean it was admitted that the us state department Put that out there to deliberately goad public opinion. It was false. Well, hey, did you, did you so have... you know, I mean, look, I, but you know, is this unusual? No, it's not unusual. War. Everybody, no. oh, they're so outraged. Um, the first victim in any war, as soon as the shooting starts, the first victim is the truth. Oh, absolutely. Because you're trying to get so, your you know what? sympathy I from your I, side. I, this, uh, everybody was, oh, you know, social media was up. And, oh, my God, you terrible people. Um, excuse me. This happens in every single armed conflict, and every side does it. And I'm sure that the Russians are doing it, the Ukrainians are doing it, and this all this nonsense about, uh, you know, about Zelensky being Churchill. What are you guys smoking? Well, I know. It's, it's crazy, but... Uh, but it is, it is interesting what Lou, because Lou knows these, this Russian thing pretty good because he was over there forever. He goes, he goes, their army's not like ours. The, the story. No. He has this, this, he goes, this, I don't know if you heard of the other day or yesterday. He said the idea, he, he knows a, a Russian retired general or something. And he said, uh, the thing the Russians were the most amazed about is when we were doing the, the first Iraq war, when, when George Bush the first picked up the phone and said, it's over. That within an hour, every U.S. soldier basically stood down, right, and turned around and said, "Where do you want me to go? Let's go back home or whatever." Yeah, it doesn't work like that over there. He, that he goes, "He goes, we were we were stunned that you guys had that much chain of command. No, nobody's looting, nobody's raping anybody. Everybody <laughs> turned around, and went home. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a different world, uh, Carl. I mean, I I don't know. I, I hope I never know that much about it to be honest with you, but." It's, it's it's a different way of doing business or something or doing something. Well, it's it's uh, you know there's uh, for for all the the maligning that the United States gets and plenty of it is deserved. Um, there is a difference in cohesiveness. Now, how much of that still exists with the crazy wokeness nonsense that has gone on over the last few years I, I with within our even within our military which is a, I mean it's a frightening thought if you think about it, for any length of time at all I don't know um, and and that does concern me a great deal but you know nonetheless I mean it's you know you look at some of the statistics I, I saw one just the other day I wrote an article about it only one in four young people today actually meet uh, physical and mental fitness requirements to be in the army. Yeah, I remember uh, stay, that. Stay, stay, stay. You know, don't even, don't even look at the Navy and the Air Force, where you actually have a higher level of, you know, of, of chops required to actually do the job. Um, we're, ta- we're talking about people who can't hump a rifle here. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty scary. 
I, uh, I mean, I, just, I don't yeah. know. If, I, you know, if you listened to the other day, you probably weren't, but I, I get, I get, um, got a couple of minutes before break, but I, I'll, I'll kind of start this story. But, uh, and I, it, some of the stuff I read, Carl, but I try and read is, I don't have a chance doing the manage money and stuff I'm doing to read as much as you do or Kevin, but, uh, I learned from you guys and I picked some stuff up. But one of the things I picked up the other day was, uh, this, this core digest, and you and Kevin say that not everything in there is true, of course, but, uh, the guys that answer some of these questions seem to be pretty, they make some interesting points. And, and one of the questions was, what did Churchill think of Truman? And, uh, the guy went into the article and he said, well, he, Truman was a guy who was in Missouri, he was plowing fields and he tried to be a haberdasher. And he said, but don't ever underestimate the quality of primary and second education in those days in the U.S. You came out of there learning how to read, learning how to write, learning history, and Truman was a, a voracious reader. So even though his education didn't have a bunch of names after it, you didn't want to underestimate the guy. And right. Churchill, and Churchill realized right away that he was a brilliant man, even though he didn't have a college. Degree. But the fact is, he, he made his own. He came out of school wanting to learn, knowing, knowing math, knowing how to read, knowing history, knowing civics, and just proceeded on from there and was a voracious learner on his own. Because so you, you don't want to underestimate these people. And I, I was surprised that it, the part was don't underestimate how good the school system was in the, in the tens and the twenties and thirties. Right. Well, it's, and, and that's, that's, you know, the thing is, is that all of this kind of filters down, uh, when, when you start paying attention to things other than actual competence. And I don't care what the other thing is, alright? The shiny penny now is, critical race theory and and uh, gender fluidity if you yeah. will uh, when you do that the number of people who can actually write a business letter and do arithmetic that percentage drops yeah we'll get this extra break here carl we'll, we'll pick this up as if he's up 11 as if he's up 30 come back i want to get uh carl's views on the markets and where this is all heading in the fed and everything else and we're going to find out if he's a Dow theorist with the demise of the transformation average this week. Carl, get ready for all this stuff. We'll be right back. Stocks and Jackson. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. 
I'm sure you are aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we have always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. Uh, Carol, let's put this up. Things you should never do on break. Um, I'm reading Peter Thiel's comments down at this Bitcoin thing. Where did, where, what was this guy taking? What kind of drug was he on? I mean, what, I'm just just asking. SP futures up nine. Nasdaq futures up fifteen. Dow futures up one nineteen. Uh, over in Asia, we've got the uh, Nikkei. These guys are rallying, but they were down heavy yesterday. Uh, Nikkei up ninety seven point four percent. That's been the slowest day in Nikkei in a while. They've been in the three four hundreds like every day. Shanghai up fifteen point five percent again. Slow for those guys. Hang Seng up sixty three point two nine. Very slow for those guys. Yesterday, as a way of review, Dow was up 87, S&P up 19, NASDAQ up 8 as we bounce back a little bit from uh, the the Wednesday and Tuesday's big debacle with the Fed Fed coming out and making their statements and us flying down. Uh, the EU DAX is up 173, 1.2%, FTSE up 79, 1%. Again, these guys were down heavy yesterday. We bounced back a little bit on the close. They did not do that, so they're catching up here. CAC around up 68, 105. Bonds up three basis points now, up 2.69, which has to be a high. Uh, matter of fact, I I'm, I'm, I'm think it's maybe we might have touched 2.7 one day, but this has got to be close to the high. Uh, Bund up one basis point, 0. 0.70. Japan up one basis point, 0. 0.25. Oil uh, up a dollar too, but careful with this. 97.05 was over 100 yesterday and got hammered during the day. Ran up 65 cents, 101.23. Natural gas, and here's the outlier. Up 11 cents, 647. That thing has been relentless from under five. I don't know if it's had a down day. It's every single day it's been up. Our Bob up two cents, 306. We've got gold up 210 to 1939. Silver up 14 cents, 2487. Copper up five cents, 474. And we've got Bitcoin down 165 despite Peter Thiel's comments, 43,336. Peter, we have Peter. Uh, Peter Thiel. I got Peter Thiel on the brain. Matt, what do you got for us, Travis Weather Sports? Yeah, good morning. Currently 7.35 a.m. on Friday, April 8th, 2022. Let's get you into sports real quick. In the NBA la- uh, tonight, uh, the Bulls are at Charlotte Hornets, 7 p.m. Central Time. And the Suns play the Utah Jazz, 8.30 p.m. Central Time. In the MLB yesterday, Cubs win their opening day at Wrigley Field against the Milwaukee Brewers. That was 5-4. The Diamondbacks take down the San Diego Padres, 4-2. 
That's all for sports. In the weather uh, currently in Chicago, uh, cloudy with a chance of rain later on. Uh, 40 degrees and a high of 40. Yep, we're at, we're at our zenith right now. Uh, low of 32, and that's all for Chicago. Down in Phoenix, clear skies, 63 degrees, a high of 97, and a low of 63. On the traffic in Chicago, uh, traffic eastbound on the Eisenhower uh, after 17th Avenue all the way to downtown. Traffic westbound on the Eisenhower between Austin all the way to 17th. Traffic eastbound the Kennedy between North Kimball and West Fullerton. And again, at West Division all the way to West Monroe. Traffic west, westbound on the Kennedy between uh, West Addison and West Bryn Mawr. Traffic westbound on the Dan Ryan between South Vassell and Taylor Street. Traffic northbound Stevenson between Harlem and South Pulaski. Traffic northbound on Lakeshore between East 18th and East Balboa. Uh, and finally, traffic southbound on Lakeshore between Lower Randolph and East Balboa with a focus at East Jackson Drive. That's all we got, Chief. Back to you. Peter Thiel calls Carl Denninger a sociopathic grandpa from tennis. Oh, no, Warren Buffett, a sociopathic grandpa from Omaha, and Bitcoin's enemy number one. This is down at the Crypto Geek Convention in Florida. (laughs) Quick question, just before we get into that. uh, I'm going to have... Do you think... What percentage of the people in that room even know what the definition of a sociopath is, Carl? Well, yeah, there's a problem. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I sometimes I'm not as big on Warren Buffett as other people. I, it's a mental health condition where someone persistently has difficulty engaging appropriately with social norms. I don't think Warren Buffett has ever had that problem. If you, <laughs> you know, I don't agree with everything he does, but I don't think he's a sociopath. I, mean, I would never call him that, would you? No, it, it, I mean, I have a lot of things to say about, uh, you know, the exploitation. I don't know about sociopath. I mean, certainly he's he's a master at playing uh, both Congress and the law to be able to do things that no ordinary person in the investing environment can do and get away with it. I mean, just to, just as one example, uh, we just announced the other day. In fact, I think it, it showed up yesterday that uh, he'd taken an eleven percent stake, approximately in Hewlett Packard, and the stock instantly reacted as you would expect to react when someone says a Berkshire's done that. Um, okay, so uh, it was also, however, reported the other day, if you remember, that uh, Elon Musk took a roughly 11% stake in Twitter, right? I mean, I think it was 9 but, you know, close enough, right? All right. Um, for Elon Musk, he broke the law. Why did, why, did, I did, why did you say that? I, I did not hear you. Well, Elon Musk broke the law because when you reach 5% and you're accumulating in a company, you have to file with the SEC and disclose it. Correct. Except if you're Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, I was going to ask you that. Did, did both of those guys buy that totally in the open market without being noticed? How could that be? Well, that's a good question, too. So... Um, uh, how how does that accumulation happen without somebody knowing that it happened? And by the way, if somebody did know that it happened, and you have to assume that they did, uh, who was in front of that with inside information? Well, let's put it this way: if if I guess I wouldn't mind being his broker, but he probably owns ten broker terms. I think that if if he started buying that much in either one of those things, that PTI would have to report it. Well, you're su- see, here's the thing. You're supposed to, 
one of the reasons that those that those reporting mandates exist is specifically to prevent the kind of front running that goes on if they don't. All right, um, and and I mean you're not going to stop all of it, but that's and then the other thing is at at that five percent threshold you have to declare your intention. Is this a passive investment? Are you are you attempting to accumulate to you know to exert some control over the board or whatever have you? You have to declare your intentions. Berkshire's exempt. Why? Because if they weren't, as soon as Berkshire announced that they were doing any of this, it would move the market. So they, they get away with doing this explicitly without having to tell anybody. Well, both of them, if, if they were in the open market, I mean, I'm going back to, you know, I'm going back to be like a dinosaur era, Carol, but when there were a hundred and some stacks on the floor, and you're all in one room. Once oh, everybody a, knew. Everybody knew. How, did, how, did, how does how does how does somebody buy eleven percent of Hewlett Packard without running the price up at all until he says he did it? Well, I've you been know, doing it over it's, six months. It, it's boy, it's a mystery, ain't it? But you know, the thing is, is that it did to some extent. Did it not? Maybe run up the price, maybe a little. Well, I mean, you could do it if if you were patient. You could do it over. I mean, that's the beauty of the market, right? I mean. Uh, you know, of having a, a, the markets that we have. I mean, if if somebody, I mean, God, if somebody came to PTI and said, "I want to, I want to, here's here's my dough. I want to buy ten uh, percent of GM, but don't disturb the market." I'd say, first thing I'd say is, "How long do we have? As long as you want it." I could probably right. buy you know twenty, thirty thousand shares a day in GM without anybody noticing it. If I didn't push it, I could sit on yeah. a bid and whatever everybody. But that's not what you. you do you remember? I'm going to say the, the the craziest story ever about that. Um, it had to do with ABC and Howard Hughes. Remember that? Um, I had just part start, of it. I had just started on the trading floor. Matt, you'll love this. It was before Matt. But I was a, uh, I was I had a brown badge on, and all of a sudden, somebody comes up and says, "God, somebody's buying the hell out of ABC." Well, Howard Hughes, because he was in his, was he on top of the dunes or the desert end? One of those places. When he wouldn't cut his fingernails and his teeth were all hanging out, That's but he, right, yeah. he was all messed up. But but he he tells this guy, I, I want his his his, I was gonna say his flunky, his president of his company. He sends him down a handwritten note. We want to buy ABC. So Kyle, just like you and I are talking about, as you would expect, they start buying their their five percent that they could buy before they told anybody, right? And of course, right. the stock is going up because they're doing it like over a couple of days. The stock runs up, and everybody's like, "Who the hell wants to buy ABC?" turns out he gets his 5%, and just as he was about to declare, he's watching the dating game, because all he did was watch TV. And they got this guy who was fairly darker-skinned, and he he gets this, you know, blonde girl, and they go out, they're going to have a date. Well, Howard Hughes thought that, that they had set up a black guy with a white guy. And this is, you know, a long time ago. And he said, I don't want to be any part of a station that does that. So he never declared, and the next day he just sold the stock. The thing ran right back down again. I was like, "What? What the hell just happened?" And like months later, it came out that that was hard use. And that's why. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> but this is the thing is, is that we, everybody, you know, and, and like I said, I've got, I've, I got plenty of things that I can say that are pretty ugly about Buffett, and that's one of them. Okay, let me ask you this, Carol, because I, I, you know, I just obviously I have all these, all these. Uh, numbers after my name and I'm supposed to know all these rules but I'm not so sure and, and 
correct me on this. Where's my, you know, where's somebody, my my securities attorney? I'm not so sure that if 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 PTI were to buy you five percent of General Motors, on the you know over a period of time where we didn't disturb the price, and right. we, we and you uh, sent all those forms to the SEC, and we declared passive investor. Is, does that have to be published? Yeah, it shows up instantly on Edgar. But, I mean, if somebody's not looking for it... Now, and, and once we get it, it, do we tell them we want to buy another 5%, and can we go do it? At some point, we got to stop um, buying in the open yeah, market. I think, well, it, again, there's a... You know, the, the filing requirements are what they are. If, if nobody pays attention to them, that's on them, okay? That's their problem. But they are there. And, I mean, does, you know, do you have to issue a press release or something? No, I don't believe you do. Uh, but the, the, the reality is, is that it is supposed to be disclosed. And one of the reasons is, is, is from a standpoint of efficient markets. So, you know, the sneaking around the back. And the thing is, when, when everything was done open outcry on the floor, the sneaking around thing didn't work out so good. No, right? it didn't work out at all. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now it, it, it's a lot easier to do the sneaking around thing and not get caught because it's all electronic and there there is nobody on the floor. That's not to say that somebody doesn't know. Of course they do. The people that are handling the order floor are fully aware of what's going on. Um, and that's where the problem comes from is that the number of people who get in front of something like that is enormous. So, you know, I mean, I've seen, I've seen multiple cases of this, but, you know, here we are, Elon Musk, and, you know, he does this, and there was a pretty clean argument that was put up, uh, you know, in the last couple of days that, that he violated the law. Now, whether or not they'll do anything to him for it, probably not. But not only did he put the accumulation on, but now he's been appointed to the board. Yeah. So the idea that this was entirely a passive investment goes out the window, too. Well, I guess the, uh, the question is, everybody can tell that we probably have never done this. <laughs> but I, I'm going to say this. Two things, I think, Carl, is if... If somebody told, I mean, we're actually pretty good here at PTI. If somebody said, accumulate this over the next several months, I'll bet there's nothing to front run because we're not going to disturb the market. We're going to sit on a bid, and once in a while we'll buy a few thousand shares on the offer, and we'll go back to the bid. We, we could do this. I mean, we, Oh, no, it's not about, see, the thing is this. That's not the point. The point is the name right. is what causes the move. Correct. Well, we're not going to tell anybody. It's not, do. It's, if, if you do the if you do the accumulation slowly, and you know, basically, you just kind of have a resting order sitting out there that gets pinged every now and then. Um, you know, you're not that by itself is probably not going to move the price very right. much. What moves the price is when you turn around and say, "Oh, by the way, it was Warren Buffett." Well, I guess what I'm questioning, I should know this. Um, once I get to five percent, I make sure that Warren, I make sure that Elon Musk, neither of whom are my clients. I make sure that between them and us, all the disclosures, the proper ones, are sent. And once we do, and we say it's a passive invest, I guess my question is, I should know the answer to, can can we start buying again? Is there, is there another hurdle when it gets to 10? Is there another, or can we just go to the... Yeah, I think, I think that, yeah, the Chief, I think there are additional filing requirements beyond five. Yeah, but I'm not sure too. where they are. Yeah, and I'm not sure either, and I... Well, of I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm a guy sitting behind a desk with a, you know, with in in Wall Street terms, you know, diddly money, right? Yeah. Um, so I mean, you know, I there's there is no possibility that I'm ever going to accumulate enough of anything to, you know, no, to hit yeah. those thresholds. But uh, you know, but Musk certainly knows where they are, and so do the people that he's, you know, he's doing the transactions through. 
uh, and you know, and, and Musk is a, as with Berkshire is a, is obviously they're quite capable of you know taking a position of that size in virtually anything. Well, plus the motivation is different. In the old days, if a stock was eighty and you were going to bid ninety for it, you didn't care if you ran it to eighty five on your five percent. You'll say, "No, we'll buy the rest at ninety. Right. Uh, but now, with these guys, when he owns nine percent of uh, Twitter. He may that might just be all he wants, and then when he says, "Hey, I own it," and it goes up ten bucks, he just made whatever. <laughs> it's a whole different motivation, I, it, I think. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, part of the problem is you don't know what his motivation is. I mean, you know, especially when a few days before uh, this all gets announced, uh, you know, in the previous couple of weeks, has been out there uh, raising hell about uh, the the censorship that the platform has done and the political. You know the politically motivated uh, silencing of certain people, um, and and you have to wonder. I mean, that's that I think is part of what has has triggered so many people and and caused the run up is that there are there are people that have every reason to believe that this has severely damaged the forward expectations for the company, and now here comes somebody who uh, has enough money to swing around to, to say you're going to cut that crap out. What? Uh in, what what exactly? And again, it's another something I should know. Good thing I have guys like you. What exactly is his job at Tesla now? Is he did he get booted from the CEO? I don't know. I don't think so because uh, the SEC is still crawling up his butt about all the stuff that you know goes on with with that company and the statements he's made. And in fact, they uh, they just recently in the last few days. Uh, they filed some kind of a, a request for an order. I don't know if it was a show cause or, you know, it was a show cause. It's pretty serious because that's a contempt attempt. Um, to, to basically force him to pre-clear all of his social media postings with the SEC. Well, I mean, uh, I, I thought he, he was the president and CEO. He lost, anyway, when he, when he put out the one about he was going to take it private and then he wasn't. Stack ran up yeah, there. there's 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 been a lot of back and forth, but he still he still effectively controls Tesla. Okay, so my, I guess my question is, if if I, I'm I'm asking this question because when we were on the board of the CBOE, or I was, uh, one of the, the you know these guys are getting near retirement age. Um, one of the, uh, the the president, who's actually was a terrific guy, Chuck Henry. Uh, I'm not I don't know if he's still alive. I hope he is because he was a good good friend. Uh, they came in one day, and he was offered a board spot, and it was taken up by our board. And the board board came up with the d- decision he could have one. That's it. He could have, he could have one board spot, and that's where we we're going to draw the line. Uh, but it, we we could have said no. It was it was a board item, and I you know I don't we we wouldn't have because you know there was never any question how dedicated the guy was. And we thought he was going to do just as good as a board somewhere. But the thought of us letting him do that two, three, but he wasn't the chairman. He wasn't the, he had good people working for him. I'll, I'll bet this Tesla's board, did they even have a, do they even, do they do anything? <laughs> what, what do they well, do? Well, I doubt that they, ha- I doubt they have a functional board. Then again, I think that's true of an awful lot of companies. Yeah, I do too. But it was uh, a serious. You know, I mean, the, 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 the that you have a board doesn't necessarily mean it's functional, and that it that you actually have a bunch of guys or and you know gals in a room that essentially all have one vote, and that's how it works. I, I'm not buying that with the majority of the firms that are out there. Well, I agree. I'm saying this was a this was an hour or two serious discussion, 
And I think, yeah, I mean, it's you know, a, well, I mean, you know, with my company, it, it, it certainly wasn't the case. I mean, <laughs> then again, you know, we, we were publicly listed, and it was a little firm. So, well, yeah, but I, but my point is, everybody came to the conclusion that for this guy, the special guy that he was, and he was nearing retirement, it was appropriate for him to be on one other board. That's what yeah. we came to. But if, if we would have said no, he'd have declined it. There's no doubt about yeah. that. And, uh, and, uh, and and if he would have come up a week later with the second one, I guarantee we would have said no. I mean, uh, yeah. But well, there you go. And uh, but I mean, is, is, is Musk is, is he is he does he have a leash on him at all? I guess is my quite a horrible thing to say. Does he have any kind of a leash on him with his board? I think no. I don't think so at all. No, I, and I and I think uh, you know if you wanted to see you know two hundred fifty dollars come off Tesla's stock price just uh, just to have him ejected from the board, and it would happen in an afternoon. But I mean, what, what is, what is, where does the guy feel like he's got time to be on this other board? He's, how many, I mean, between Tesla, between the auto company, between the rocket company, how many companies are there? Like three, four? Uh, yeah, the, Chief, you know what? It, at some point, your press exceeds your actual capacity. They used to say what? You're reading your own clip, clippings? Yeah, you you know you believe your own press. That's when you're really getting trouble. But I, when you have when you have as much money as he does, uh, trouble is relative. Well, the the board, I can't believe that last year. What he sell? How many billion dollars worth of stock did he have to sell for taxes? And the the board essentially made him whole. He owns more stock now than before he sold it, right? Yeah, it's uh, that stuff's. I mean, yeah, stuff's crazy. But how can I mean? I, I, you you've been you owned a place. I mean, the, the numbers on this. Carl, are mind-boggling to me, and Eric was the one who brought first brought this up, this this management class that is something we've never really had to deal with in this country. In his mind, we're not dealing with it very effectively, because at least with Carnegie and Rockefeller, they own the damn place. It was their money. You know, you didn't have to worry about uh, the decision. But these, this management group, they just accumulate the wealth that really should go to the shareholders and, and others. I mean, how does, a, how does this, this firm... I mean, you know more about this than me. They've never made a dime up until last year if it wasn't for the carbon credits, correct? Well, and, and they still don't. I mean, because you you know all that sunk cost. It's never been recovered, and it never will be. So they but they that's how they made all this dough. Now this guy is well, yeah, and and, and it's worse because now you've got this new standard that says that cars have to get forty nine miles a gallon within the next four years, and which is by the way thermodynamically impossible across the fleet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, but I, but I, but you have. A dude by any stretch, and there's a lot of companies like this. There was, there was one other company a couple weeks ago. I forget, I forget the name, but they've they've never made a dime. They don't plan on, on making money up until is it GameStop? Might be. They don't plan on making a dime until 2025 at the earliest. And yet, the people who are up top have been paid amazingly handsomely and are and are multi million. How how can the management make that much dough before anybody gets a nickel as a, as an investor? I mean, just just as a general question. I mean, these guys are taking way too much before the investor gets anything. Why would, it's, you know what it's like, it's, it's like, Carl, to me? It's like investing in a restaurant. It's the well, most, yeah. the most but, successful uh, restaurant. Know, this is not, I mean, all, all, the, all of this, when you get down to it, the whole reason these models work for the people that have accumulated this, you know, this amount of wealth and have managed to do this, people like Musk, and he's not. The, he's certainly not the only one. There's a bunch. Um, 
but the whole the whole reason it works is because of this crazy leverage expansion that we've undergone over the last 20 30 years and the reason that happened is is all about the trade balance and the ability to sequester the credit printing it's not money printing it's credit printing but sequester the impact of that out of the general economy so the average joe doesn't feel it well, this and, clearly and, is not. And, that's, and, and that is what you are facing right now going away. And there isn't anything we can do to stop it. And if Fed can't stop it, we cannot stop it in terms of, of, of federal policy. We created this monster. We've, we've, and, and by the way, if Ukraine had not happened, we were coming to the end of that rope anyway. Right, right. That's just a little bit of a catalyst. It just well, it, it may have moved it up a little bit and accelerated it. But yeah. in terms of being out of room on that game, we were out of room on that game. We were we were up against the hard limits on that. And the reason is that it's it's not about a so called reserve currency. It is about the fact that it is a trade settlement currency. And the reason is it's more stable than the other alternatives. And and yet the only way that that continues to increase in size, which allows more credit printing and allows more deficit spending without the inflationary impact showing up, is that the amount of international trade that takes place through that mechanism has to increase. And we have offshored pretty much all the things we can offshore. <laughs> yeah. So we shoved as much over there as we could shove. We're kind of out of things to shove. And so this game was slowly coming to an end. And then we unwound it forcibly by starting to drop sanctions on everyone and every you know and everything that we didn't like. And everyone's like, oh my God, the dollar's going to collapse. When other, uh, excuse me, the DX just crossed a hundred just now as we're talking. Well, I mean, is uh, Leon Cooperman, who's I'm not you know take 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 anybody or leave him including I guess us, but uh, when he said. This, in, in all of our history, we've never had an interest rate that's that's for any length of time is below the inflation rate. He goes, we're like we're like ten percent below. He goes, well, <laughs> you know what? It, it, yeah, except for those people who think this isn't going to continue to accelerate. Look, the TNX is up another two percent today. It's, a, it's trading yeah. at, at two point seven oh six right now. Uh, we only have two minutes here. I got I got to ask you, as they say in the south side, um, how do you make sense of the numbers in terms of growth and other stuff, given the amount of inflation and, and float in the system, how can you tell what's real? I mean, if you're a Dow theorist, you watch the last three days this, this transportation average collapsing, you're horrified on this market. Yet if you watch some of the bigger stocks, the fangs are were back in play on, on Monday, not so much Tuesday, Wednesday. What do you look at? How can you even tell? Some people come on TV and said, the economy's going great. I, I think you would strip away the uh, the nominal the amount of inflation I think we are, we're in a serious recession already Carl am I wrong No you're not wrong we are and and essentially we're you know we're we're Wiley Coyote who's run off the cliff and we haven't figured out the gravity of this yet um, I I am quite frankly Chief if if we do not trade fifteen seventy six again in the S and P within the next two years I'm going to be stunned uh, Let's hope it's not that bad bud. Well, yeah, you could. Uh, I think it, I think it actually could be worse. Uh, wow. Well, we'll we'll talk about more of this about next week. Um, S and P futures are up only up two and a quarter now. They've been up fifteen. Nasdaq is actually down eighteen. So we're sinking a little. So much for the rally. Carl, have a nice weekend, buddy. Uh, I'll be back on Monday. Stocks and Jacks.
Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. Do you remember ABC? Yeah, always be closing. That's right, always be closing.